Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. And welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. My name's Tom Bourne. I'm your host. And with me today is the marvelous Dr. Dan Hill. Dan, how are you? I'm really well. How are you? Oh, fantastic, mate. How is the lovely Gold Coast this time of the year? It's a little overcast, but it's uh, lovely as usual getting full of schoolies at the moment, but they're, uh, they're just starting to trickle out now. So we're getting back to normal soon. Ah, uh, good, good. Dan, I've known of your body of work for quite some time uh, and known you for a little while. Um, spoke yesterday as well, so that was good. But for those who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background and what you're currently doing? Mm, sure. Well, my background really is varied, which is a great thing in vocational training. Uh, and I know that the main thrust of this conversation is around vocational training in the context of work, health and safety, et cetera. So I'll try to keep it on point. But uh, I started my life in the military, in the Air Force, and uh, got out and started um, in retail and then in buying and wholesaling and that sort of thing. And then uh, about four, 20 years ago, I decided to uh, get into training with a bit of a push from my brother. And a few years after that, he and I started SPEC Training, which is a registered training organization. So we've been in operation for around about 15 years and we specialized, no, actually, uh, coincidentally, we started the organization with a work health and safety qualification. That's how we actually originally registered. Um, but then we moved into training assessment as a speciality. And uh, it's been that case for the majority of that time. Um, Probably the points of note are that we saw there was a big gap in the market for uh, learning resources around training and assessment, uh, specifically some sort of text. Uh, and so we approached an international publisher, McGraw-Hill, um, and we wrote the first textbook for Vocational Education Training Australia back in 2010. And um, we're up to our third edition now. So when you ask me what I'm doing now, I'm feverishly finishing off the final bits and pieces of the chapters to submit to the publisher to get the new resource out as soon as possible. Uh, but yeah, three editions later, 
plus a textbook for the uh, diploma and also a textbook for retail. And I think that's all in the textbook range, <laughs> but around 40,000 copies sold. So it, uh, it's definitely been used out there, which is fantastic. Uh, we like to think it's it, it meets the needs of the yeah. industry. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, I've still got the, the 2010 edition floating around in my bookshelf over there. It's well, a bit brown one. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit tattered and um, a bit well beaten now, but opened my eyes. And, and when I first started to get into training, it was the go-to book. It really was um, because, yeah, although I had some good people as mentors, um, yeah, really good knowledge, really good knowledge in there. And you're right, you can't find it literally anywhere else, anywhere else. Um, spec training, I, I'll be, I will be honest, um, I have never worked for them, but they've always been my preferred provider of uh, training and assessment because she's a professional and you deal with the realities of people's busy lives and and you get the job done. Um, So when it came to the new training qualification, which has just been, I believe, gone live this week, this week? Yesterday, yesterday. Yesterday. um, Yeah. You, you you were the one who I, I wanted to get on the program. It sounds weird. It sounds it sounds strange. Why would you get someone about training and assessment on a safety program? But training is one of those fundamental control measures in the hierarchy, control for safety. It's 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 considered one of the weaker ones, but it's something that is also written in the acts and the regulations as being required for all workplaces that all workers have fundamentally the rights for. So to me, it made perfect sense. Not only that, there are a lot of um, on-site trainers and assessors that um, deliver, and there's a lot of workplaces that actually require health and safety people to have a training qualification for whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. So tell me about the lovely new TAE because there's been, um, I don't know, it's one of those qualifications that no matter what changes with it, it's always going to get bagged. (laughs) Uh, I've never seen a more hated qualification of of various editions. It doesn't matter what you do. People just mm, have a crack at it. What's this one like? It seems to be the case, doesn't it? And, uh, some of that comes from the uh, when we talk about vocational training, remember that's career-based training. So whether you're in work health and safety or you're in finance, it doesn't matter. Uh, the purpose of vocational education is to get you ready for a job. Yeah. And when people do things like uh, trade apprenticeships, um, traineeships and things like that, they only have to do them once. You know, they do them once, they've got the qualification and then their career can go forward. Uh, now, on the surface, that's what occurs. But in reality, we know that if a tradesperson, for instance, a plumber, decided to do their plumbing qualification back in 2000, then if they had done no further education between then and um, or then and now, they wouldn't be employable. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, with the yeah, with the TAE, unfortunately, uh, it comes across as mandatory upgrades as opposed to professional development. And so people, you know, get their um, their, their backup, I guess, to 
the idea of being told to do something as opposed to do it um, voluntarily, which under the regulations, they have to anyway. They have to keep their currency anyway. So that, that whole mandatory must do an upgrade thing is what's annoyed people in the past. But this new one, Tom, I think you'd be very happy. There is no mandatory requirement to upgrade too. Uh, it was a part of the design feature that the industry reference committee agreed on before they really even started. They said that, uh, you know, we're not going to be making people upgrade. And that was in response to, as you said, all that negative, um, not negative press, but negative comments around the industry about having to continually upgrade. <clears throat> I always joke when people come to me um, and say, uh, uh, you know, express their displeasure, <laughs> for want of a better term, uh, at needing to upgrade. And I say, well, it's there's been two upgrades in 12 years. It, it's, is it that bad? <laughs> is it that bad? Yeah. And the first upgrade was two units. You know, yeah. again, is it that bad? <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, you're right. I always use the example of um, a, a mechanic, a mechanic who uh, studied or, or did their apprenticeship 20 years ago is usually not working on the same sort of cars today what they were back then. So perhaps, you know, your knowledge has to actually improve and you, you have to increase, I don't know, the changes that actually are mirrored in society should be mirrored in the way we actually uh, deliver and assess people's competency. So, yeah, it is important. I Look, I, I some... I come across sometimes as I used to used to call myself a, a unicorn that I teach taught TAA and, and health and safety. And there's not a lot of people who take that challenge on because they're considered to be much, the two most boring subjects in the world. Um, but uh, I don't think unicorns, I, I did an adequate job at TAA. I don't, I don't think I ever set the world on fire. But um, look, to me, it's the fundamental qualification because if, we produce bad trainers and assessors. They go out into every single industry mm. and then they deliver poor training um, across every single industry. And we, we get a whole generation of lousy trainers. And uh, uh, let's be honest, Dan, how, how many lousy trainers have you seen? Too many. Too many. <laughs> yeah. You know, it... We really concentrate now as much as we concentrate on quality outcomes for our trainees. A learner, for want of a better term, again, a learner has to actually want to learn. They have to want to do the work to be whatever they're training in. And because it's a mandatory qualification for on-site assessors, even people doing verifications of competency on-site, you know, it becomes this mandatory qualification, even if it's just a skill set, and we'll talk about that later if you like. Um, they they do it because they have to, a bit like work, health and safety. We do it because we have to. It's only those who actually listen, understand, um, take in what they're hearing and integrate it with what they already know and then take that to a workplace that would be the sort of person I'd want to work next to, you know, um, 
so when yeah when you say are there bad trainers out there hell yeah well you didn't ask that but yeah <laughs> that was the inference yeah. um and and it's the same in every single workplace for every single trade every single skill um so yeah if the person comes to a training assessment qualification thinking you know i'm going to learn to do this so that when i go back to site or when i go back to wherever i'm working and i need to train others i'm going to do it in a way that you know is compliant um meets the standards but also um i demonstrate my passion in it you know i want to do this i want to pass my skills on to somebody else so that they can do a better job yeah I, I, key word there i was hoping you'd come across it there it was passion god i, I really strongly strongly believe that unless you're passionate about doing anything whether it's training assessing delivering safety talks i don't know you shouldn't be doing it unless you unless you can inspire people mm. about the topic that you're either training or talking about or anything like that, perhaps you need to review whether you really should be in that position. Um, because I don't know, I've seen so many boring ass safety talks and safety discussions where it's obvious the person themselves is bored with what they're saying <laughs> yeah. and or they don't believe it. And it's just like, dude, no one is taking it in. Everyone's looking at their phone and scrolling and doing whatever else, having a chat. You've lost them. You've lost them straight from the word go because if you're not passionate about it, you know, why do you do it? Mm. I, used to, I, I, used, I used to have on um, presentation days in the LTA, I used to, I used to go with a mantra and I'd you know, hype up the students a little bit because, you know, I believe in emotion. It's an important part of training. Uh, and say, no more boring training. No more boring training. No more boring trainers because you know what's the point of delivering something if no one's listening you know it 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 annoys me all right can i sorry i'll I'll just cut in there for a second because we just came out last month um uh, mark miles and myself uh, delivered uh, a couple of days worth of professional development training to around 80 uh trainers in the mining sector so across construction and mining and um and a lot of what they train in, as you can imagine, you know, that verification of competency stuff that, you know, I've got to do this every five years kind of stuff. Yep. And uh, and we just asked them, you know, who starts their session or who, who has ever heard someone start a session with words to the effect of, look, I know we've got to do this today. Let's just get through it, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. And, and we challenged them by saying, come out with something I heard something, uh, you know, different is better than better. I heard that uh, saying the other day, different is better than better. Come out with something that is just different. Say, uh, you know, this morning we're going to do something you've never done before. Yep. Uh, and they say, oh, yeah, but we've done this work health and safety training before. Not with me, you haven't. <laughs> you know, what we're going to cover today is going to give you insights that are going to make you safer on the work side or are going to make you a better operator. Da, 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 da. You know, whatever you set that, I love what you said before, that passion that comes through from the moment you start is is so critical. Uh, and I think it sunk in to some of those trainers. Um, we've known them for many years in a lot of cases and we've seen them grow. They're doing their diplomas or things like this. So you, you, I've seen them grow. Um, and others were new there. And, you know, obviously the new ones sat back with their arms folders and, you know, looking at the ceiling thinking, oh, what's this guy got to tell me? But I hope it started to sink in because passion's everything. Oh, yeah, it, it just is. Um, and, you know, it, it, 
if you're struggling to get out of bed to de- to deliver a message to people, yeah, go back to bed. That's that's <laughs> yeah. that's my opinion because absolutely, yeah, it's 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 something fundamental. If you inspire people, you see that light bulb go on. You know this as well as I do. You, you see the light bulb go on, and they finally get it and start independently thinking about something. And that's 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 what you live for when you deliver any sort of training. All right, you talked about verification of competency. It happens a lot, um, particularly on heavy industrial sites. And it's usually someone comes with a ticket for a piece of plant or equipment and they come on site, but for whatever reasons, and there is a very good reasons, uh, the organisation basically says, yes, but you haven't used our piece of plant on our site with the hazards and risks around. So we're going to basically see if you can do what your piece of paper or your resume or whatever says. Okay, how important is it for those who are assessing someone's competence that they actually know how to set up proper assessments where they can actually record against something, a measurable output, rather than, yeah, I reckon it's okay, and um, before signing them off as competent? the To say, you know, how important is it? It's vitally important. Um, we measure against benchmarks. That's how someone proves they're competent or not. So having a benchmark to report against, in other words, uh, you know, you've got an observation checklist of some form, mm that you're looking at to make sure the person performs that task to that standard, then that becomes the critical piece of documentation that you as an assessor have to um, know inside out. Now, here's something actually, when you're doing an observation like that, what are the, one of the big problems is that you're watching, you're thinking about what you have to write down, you're hoping that you understand what the various interpretations of the, the things you're supposed to be looking at are, and then writing down some sort of comment and ticking it off. But where is your attention? Your attention should be on the candidate. It's on a not, bit of paper or yeah, something. Not on the piece of paper. Yeah. So for a, if you want to get to be a really good on-site assessor, you should be able to almost recite word for word that checklist that you're checking off. Yeah. So you fundamentally know in your mind what you're looking for without having to keep popping your being mm. naughty, pop your head up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, yeah, look. I can't stress that enough about safety, about having proper assessments against proper benchmarks. Um, and I'll give you an example, and it's it's one that not many people think about. A few years ago, we had the Dreamworld incident. Mm. And not many people like to talk about it. I don't like to talk about it because it involves people dying. But if you fundamentally go back and look at the coroner's report and the critical examination of the training that was and, 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 and the assessing of the people who were put in charge of these rides, which had heavy equipment by any nature, um, it was fundamentally flawed. And there was no systematic assessment against benchmarks. It was a personal opinion without mm. any without anything being ticked off formally. And yeah, these are the things that cost people's lives. Signing people off to operate heavy equipment if you're not sure of their competence, sooner or later, 
you're going to get caught out and you'll be you'll be put in front of a coroner's court and trying to explain how you actually assess them competent at that time. Um, so it's one of those things, even if industry doesn't think they need a piece of paper to do um, non-accredited training and assessing, I can't stress enough how important it is to have at least that fundamental knowledge of how to run assessments, but also to write assessments because you talked about checklists here. And the the question I have for anyone who's using any checklist is who wrote it? And if you don't know who wrote it, why are you using it? Mm. Because you're assuming the person who wrote it knows what they're talking about and you shouldn't have to. In the mining sector, they have that um, in the culture training they normally do. They refer to the newspaper test. You're probably familiar with it. You know, if if the an incident occurs in, at on the site, what would it look like in the headline of a paper? You know, uh, and is that the headline you want to see? Yeah. And I compare that to if you're an assessor who's filling out someone's assessment. Imagine you're getting up in coroner's court having to defend how you assess that person. Isn't that the person you want to be? Isn't it not the person in court, but the person who knows exactly what they assessed, why they assessed it, how they assessed it, and what the outcomes should have been? That's the thing I, I find interesting. Most people don't understand with assessments. If you sign that off, you're legally signing that off that you believe mm. they're competent, and there are consequences to that. Um, it's one of those deadly serious things. It's It's... It should never, ever been seen as a tick and flick, just get on the tools and get the job because, you know, we really need that person on site. Um, yeah. So it's, it's important to me and it's, I think it's important to people's safety. Um, also, you'd mentioned that the, the TAE, the, the CERT for, um, is deemed equivalent, therefore people don't have to upgrade. Mm. Mm, yeah, do you... I'm gonna I'm gonna be pretty cynical here, Dan. Tell me if I'm wrong. Do you think that was the one selling point in the upgrade that they actually had to have? Because otherwise they would be basically burnt at the stake. Uh so, so yeah. say that again because yeah, All right. PWC. So PWC. Yeah. Oh, and I see. The, yeah, I know where you're going. No, I know where you're going. Okay, yeah, yeah just had to get that right. Yeah, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's why I said it. It was formed part of their original discussions because, yeah, if they were going to make people upgrade, there would be such an outroar, yes, burned at the stake perhaps, maybe paraded around Canberra for a while. Um, yeah, but on a, gosh, I've got so many things I want to say about that. But honestly, it, it, the end result is is pretty good. Um, you asked me yesterday, actually, before the today's podcast about you know whether i thought it was good or not and i said well yeah it's, it's pretty good um it, it's better than the last one uh yeah. in a few ways um number one and this would probably affect um your listeners especially is the language literacy and numeracy component is no longer a separate unit just hanging out there whilst it is a separate unit it's integrated into development uh delivery and assessment so it goes across all three clusters of the uh, TAE, which yep. it always should have. It's meant to. But it was only ever trained as, a, oh, here's an upgrade unit. Just go and do that. It takes you a day. You know? um, so that's one big improvement. The other big one is they've added a brand new unit called um, uh, PDD 401, which is um, Work Effectively in Vocational Education and Training. Ooh. 
you know, <laughs> okay, great. Uh, now I get to learn how to develop a professional development plan and I can schedule in my professional development and yeah. see why it's important. Yeah. i got to say the old qualification, some of, some of the biggest, I won't say whinge, gripes I, I heard, uh, and there were many, were things like it teaches you how to uh, tick boxes for audits but it doesn't actually teach you how to train and deliver. Oh, well, let me cut in there because that's the other exciting thing. Oh, gosh. One of the best things I could have done from my point of view, and again, this is all opinion-based, but from my point of view, is they removed the develop, design develop assessment tools unit from the core. Mm. Now, for people who don't know what that means, that particular unit was a diploma-level unit yes. requiring anybody who wanted to train in vocational education to suddenly be at a diploma level designing assessment tools what okay so we uh, swallowed that for the last few years and trained it got people across the line with uh, i think a really interesting clustered assessment however the amount of people who went out and actually used that skill i could count on one hand so that's gone but besides that 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 one unit costs the industry a hell of a lot of good industry-based oh. trainers, a hell of a lot. People had been training for 20-plus years, but part-time basis. So you had all the skilled ambulance officers mm -hmm. who were delivering quality first aid training. We had all the, the people skilled in the workplace that would train every now and again mm -hmm. that just went, this is too hard, this is not relevant, I'm not doing it, I... I'm leaving the training industry completely. Yeah. I, I, heard that I think we, we went backwards in, in terms of staffing numbers in training for about four years after that. It just, yeah, uh, it that's blew evident. me away. Yeah. That, that's actually true. Uh, and I, whether it was for that reason or others, but that was definitely a part of it. Uh, we did, we have lost a lot of trainers out of the system. Um, and new ones come in being faced with that unit amongst others going, what am I getting myself into? Yeah. Let's be honest, 90% of people, and this is being absolutely honest, are never going to develop mm. an assessment tool, assessment instruments, all those fancy terms we use, design an, an assessment. Basically, 90% of the hands-on trainers will come in, they'll be given a pre-package that they have to either assess or deliver and assess, and they go and they do their best because they're industry experts, which is what we want mm. in vocational education. We don't want necessarily design and develop an experts who can't trade or have no industry knowledge. And we just talked about how important passion is in training. You're not going to train someone how to be passionate if you're only covering it for a 15th of the course and the rest is all about assessment and design. It's, yeah, but so just to go back to what you were saying about, you know, what the makeup is and, and we just want to be trainers, this is one of the other exciting parts. Not only have they gotten rid of that unit, but they also got rid of a um, the assessment planning unit. So we're down to just three assessment units now, only uh, two of which are core, okay? Um, well, I think it's two that are core. I might be wrong there. It might be three that are core. Yeah, but sorry, there are three that are core. One of them is online assessment, so that's kind of a bit out there. But um, the other two is validations and, and assessing competence. Right, that's it, and, and that's all we need. That's all we need is vocational trainers and assessors is know how to assess and participate in validation moderation. Cool, done. Don't don't confuse it anymore. Thank you very much. 
And if I'm doing online assessment, yeah, teach me how to do that better as well. Yeah, and that's it. Um, but what that gives us is more scope to include more of the delivery units as electives. And that's what we've done. And I think that's what most, we've done a couple of um, workshops with um, skills groups and we've found that that's more or less what everyone's choosing as their selected electives. They're going, going hard on the facilitation units um, and mentoring even, which I, I've always loved. So, you know, these are great units to include in there. Um, so we can literally spend more time teaching people how to train. Good. That's 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 what I want to hear because there's not no benefit for people who go into training and say, yeah, I want to spend 80% of my time assessing. You know, there, oh. there, there are strange people like me who began mm. their training career as a full-time assessor mm. uh, and got dragged kicking and screaming into training. Um, but um, that's the unusual case. Most people want to, tr if they want to get into training, it's because they want to train and they want to train well they don't want to be the boring facilitator trainer whatever you want to call them lecturer yeah and organic compliance all the time oh yes for god's sake <laughs> uh, the, all right um just with it back to the the structure of it and saying it's equivalent to the uh the older qualification which is now the tae 40116 i think that's right still um <laughs> If it's got two more units, how can it be equivalent, really? Oh, well, they talk in terms of workplace outcomes. So the workplace outcome is... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're a qualified trainer assessor. However many units it took you to get there is irrelevant. It went from 14 to 10 to 12 over the last 15 years and that's it so that's how it's um it supersedes and is equivalent to it yeah uh however if you try to credit units across you're going to run into a lot of hate because um <laughs> because unfortunately those uh, a lot of the units internally to the qualification are not equivalent um in fact most of them are not equivalent which is crazy but um yeah we'll just we'll work on that later that's going to be a part of the professional development process we'll call it yeah, look, um, that's the best explanation I've had of the units. So thanks for that. That's actually good about the, you get the equivalent knowledge no matter how many units. I like that. That's very good. Um, also, oh dear. The, the other thing I talk about this is we talked about it not being mandatory for people who um, have the qualification to necessarily upgrade. Of course, that's not if you actually are delivering that TAE itself. But... I've found over the years that industry 
a lot of industries at the very least, even though it might not be mandatory for their people who may be delivering soft skill courses, non-accredited courses, whatever you like to call them, they still make it an internal standard that all of the people who are going to deliver mm. training will have this. And it's a strange one. I can understand. I'm not certainly not going to tell industry what they should do or what they should require. But you mentioned skill sets earlier. I think this is one of those things that's just not understood by 90% of people uh, who are employing trainers or, or, or have trainers on board that, that perhaps they would be much suited, better suited with skill sets. Can you tell those who aren't familiar with skill sets, what they are, what they do, what's their purpose? Because no one knows, Dan. <laughs> okay. Yeah, skill sets are subsets of qualifications. So they add to a qualification or they stand alone. Uh, when you complete a skill set, you're completing somewhere between two, sometimes up to five units, um, but it's usually around two or three units of competency. Uh, so number one, doesn't take you as long. Number two, it's more specified. So it'll be in the training assessment qualifications, dozens of not dozens but a number of skill sets uh, ranging from workplace presenter through to workplace supervisor skill set which includes mentoring interestingly <laughs> pardon me um they've got the enterprise trainer assessor skill set which is probably the, the the biggest one that we do anyway um because that is also mentioned in the rto regulations as being something you can use to assess people online uh online sorry <laughs> assess people in the workplace um so yeah, each of those skill sets, as I mentioned, is made up of a, a shorter number of units and it's focused on achieving a particular workplace outcome. So if you just want to be a trainer and you don't care about being accredited, you just want to be a good trainer, you can go and do a trainer presenter skill set. It's got two units, teaches you how to present, teaches you how to train. Um, and those things are not mutually exclusive by any means. Um, and, and you walk away with a skill set, piece of paper that's nationally recognized that says, yes, I know how to train. You can take that along uh, to an organization and they can say, well, good, glad you know how to train um, because we want you to get out there and do some you know, non-accredited training for our people. Good. And that's all you need. Yep. It's when organizations, and oh my God, we've seen this way too often, way too often. And, and organizations that should know better too, like RTOs, so registered training organizations um, who mandate that their trainers and assessors must have the newest TAE. Um, and, and look, as a TAE provider, it's like, great, okay, <laughs> no yeah. problem. However, um, is it necessary? It, it's not necessary. It's not necessary to do that from a compliance point of view. And, and it, it it's probably only be necessary if someone's been out of training for a few years, you know, then sure, go and get your upgrade, go and do more units so you can get back into the swing of things. But if you've been training all that time and you've got an older TAE or TAA even, you know, what is the requirement? So you've got compliance, which requires at the moment, believe it or not, where are we? We're, we're on the cusp of 2023 and for at least the next year and a bit, if you have the old 2010 version plus those two units, you're still compliant for another year and a bit. And yeah. then if you go and do a gap training a day, which takes you one day, you can get your 2016 version and you'll be compliant for years. 
because what they're saying with the new um, standards is they're going to make the 16 the, the, the baseline. The 22 is a successor, so that's fine. You can leave that in there if you want it. Um, and that'll be it. So get your 16 if you haven't got it already, because it's only a day, day of training, gap training. And that's if you've got the other two units, by the way. If you don't, then it might be up to three days, but still three days training. Yeah. And then you get your 16, you're away, you meet all the compliance standards for the next or the foreseeable future, at least the next five years, in my estimate. And, um, and then if you want to do the professional development, great. Go and do your online training assessor skill set. Go and do your PDA unit separately. Great. Do them. And then just by doing them over time, you'll end up with your 22. So if anything happens in another five or six years, you'll be up to date. Is it? Hmm. Simple, isn't oh, it, Tom? Yeah, oh, yeah, it is. It is. It is. Look, I, the reason I skills skill sets have always been a bugbear for me because, as I said, industry just either doesn't know about them or doesn't know enough about them. And I'll give you an example. This is a true example. Uh, large council, they're called shires over here, by the way, but large council in uh, Queensland. We won't talk which council. Um, at one stage, and this is only a few years ago. Uh, was getting its senior bus drivers to train the new bus drivers on routes and making sure they actually, you know, they do a bit of observation, making sure they're doing everything right while they were on a bus run. But they were making all their senior bus drivers go and get a TAE. And quite surprisingly, I think you'll find that 80% of them never finished the qualification. Uh, I mean, that's just crazy stuff. I mean, why would you do it? I, I, I don't understand. It's it's We talk about personal protective equipment on sites and that has to be fit for purpose. Surely the training of your people who either deliver or assess competence or whatever, if soft skills or for credit, surely you should look a bit deeper than just saying they just need a training qualification and make their education, I don't know, fit for purpose. Oh, hell, how dare you, Tom? And you, save money too. A lot of money, a lot of time, a huge a lot of heartache. Yeah, huge <laughs> of frustration, heartache, resignations. Exactly. It, it, it's just, it, it comes out, and I think that's kind of where I was going with that talk about, you know, people who should know better, is that it's only one or two people in an organization that make that choice. They're usually in an HR or training department, and they've got their TAE, and they, yeah. and they go, everyone else should have this. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Oh. Um, and, and like, I, I've consulted with many large organizations who ask me, you know, um, you know, what should they give their trainers and I'll start with the lowest. I'll start with, well, what are they doing? Mm -hmm. uh, well, they're, they're training this, they're doing that, or they're just assessing over here. Okay, well, look at the assessor skill sets. Three units, get that done. They'll learn how to assess to standards, that, that, get that done. Oh, but shouldn't they get the TAE? I'll ask why. Why do they need it? Uh, you know, and they can't answer it. Oh, it looks better on the resume. Oh, it makes us seem more compliant from the top, end, uh, top down. Okay. Uh, and things I probably should say more often is, have you thought about the risk to your staff leaving, your retention, yes. um, the costs? Have you thought about any of that? Because this is a decision you're about to make that will have a huge impact on all those things. Yeah, you know? don't, don't be silly about it. There was, it's, I'll give you another example. Uh, based in a lovely <clears throat> city, city there uh, at one stage, and uh, we had a uh, large waste removal company 
several stories above us in a building. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know who. <laughs> Anyhow, and they get their senior drivers and they send out an email on a Friday saying, you are required to attend the training, blah, 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 which is for the TAE. They wouldn't tell them what it was. Mm-hmm. And so come Monday morning for the first cluster, you'd get two or three drivers sitting in the back of the room going, why are we here? What are we doing? And basically, again, they were there to teach people or assess people's competence on the, the routes and how to operate a garbage truck. And it was just like, you're right. People eventually actually leave organisations if they're forced to do something that they can't see a purpose for or, or a need for. Why would I do this rubbish? It, it, uh, go, it goes back to, and, and this is from the 50s, for goodness, I think it's the 50s, but Malcolm Knowles' principles of adult learning, you know, one what, what of them is, you know, is it relevant to me? Yes. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it true. relevant to me? Uh, I'm goal orientated. So you know, there, there's these things that you suddenly misalign with in a, for, the, for each individual who you want to train or who you want to get trained, I should say. And, and if you can't answer those questions for them, they will answer them and it'll be negative and they'll yeah. turn up this training. They won't want to be there. They'll, they'll either fail it or they'll do miserably through it. And you're not getting a better worker because of it. Yeah. And that's for all training, by the way. That's just not all with the training. TA qualification. That's, again, trying to get your people to go and do a safety qualification or something like that, that mm. they're not interested. They can't see the need for it. Then why would you do it? Mm. All right. You mentioned something a couple of times, which I think is greatly undervalued in industry, and that's mentoring. Mm. My God. Well, you know, one of the greatest, greatest... Uh, crimes i think we have in western society is that you build up a knowledge of a basis of knowledge and skill and experience over your lifetime and then you retire and you take all that and all of the learnings you've had in your career to the grave let's be honest about it there is no no in most businesses, anyhow, that I've been aware of, there has been no planning for as people progress towards the end of the careers, a pathway for them to mentor up and pass some of those experience and knowledge onto the people coming through at the beginning of their careers. And it's just, it, it's a criminal waste, I believe. Um yeah, the, the, I remember I used to teach at the Australian Institute of Management many years ago, and we had a course there, and we talked about um, staff retention, we talked about successor planning, and that formed part of it, we, we called it, I can't remember what it was called, knowledge systems, knowledge, can't remember now, but basically uh, IBM back in the 80s um, created a knowledge base, a knowledge system, and I wish I could remember exactly what they called it, but it was uh, one of the first big databases in the world and because they had coders and engineers and stuff all around the world um, they wanted to concentrate all that expertise in one place and so as people develop projects and everything all their learnings went into this one big knowledge base and so it didn't matter who came in and out of the system they could uh, access that find their way through it and find out what they needed to get started on the next project Um, there there was a, a council here in Queensland who does the same thing but only on a small level, like only within a certain area of the, of the council. Um, I don't know whether that's an answer or not, but that, that 
is what a lot of organizations try to do. But mentoring, I, I've just done, we're actually doing a lot more training and mentoring in the last few months than we ever have before. Um, and um, there's a skill set, speaking of skill sets, called Workplace Supervisor Skill Set, which is a TAE skill set. It yep. does one assessment, one training, and the mentoring unit. Right? I think that is a brilliant skill set. Yep. Simply for that reason, I can train skills, I can assess those skills, and I can mentor new staff. I think I, th- I think a lot of supervisors and a lot of new supervisors who mm. are basically thrown in a position, not given much training, and they could all benefit from that. They literally they could. Mm. It's one of those things I I. I I sort of believe, and it will never happen. Well, I can, as much as I love pipe dreams and stuff like that, it'll never happen in my lifetime. That the last two years of your working career, you probably should be purely taken off what you're doing, and you it's should awesome, be yeah. mentoring newer people, um, so that we get very. I'll give you an example. Work for Australia Post for ten years, and the average span of employment for workers with Australia Post is around about 35 years. It's 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 unheard of in this day and age. People start their careers and end their careers with Australia Post. But there is nothing to capture that knowledge before they go so that the new generation coming in is not starting from scratch and is so they're not destined to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. And uh, it's a shame. It's a shame to me. Um, I don't see it enough. Um, so if any, any way you can promote mentoring, Dan, I'd be really happy for you to do it. Well, I posted something on LinkedIn just saying, you know, just from the result of me doing a couple of courses with an aged care facility, would you believe that they had a number of staff going through, I think about 12 staff, uh, and also another company out of... Um, they're an RTO out of Canberra. So they're the two we did just recently. <laughs> Pardon me. And when we talk about mentor, it, it kind of lights people up because it, it's about storytelling. You know, people love sitting in a room telling war stories, you know, and what better way to, to um, promote that than to formalize it in a mentor relationship where you get someone to tell you all those war stories and you can see how that's going to impact you. Uh, you work with them to sit, you know, hit some goals over a period of time uh, that are outside of your normal day-to-day work um, tasks. They just help you with the overall you know, tacit knowledge of, of what you're doing within a workplace so that the stuff that's not written down. Um, and it was great. So it was great teaching it. It was great seeing, as you mentioned before, the light bulbs going on in people's heads saying, well, this is, yeah, this is, um, could be life-changing. And it is. We even talk in the unit about the fact that it, it, you know, the, the improvements to the mentor, so they have uh, they gain a lot from the experience. The mentee, the person undertaking, obviously gets a lot from it. But the organisation benefits hugely. Staff retention, performance improvements, um, and, and everything related to that. You know, uh, it, it's a no-brainer. Every every organisation with the you know that size, let's say more than twenty people or so, should probably have some kind of mentoring program in place. Yeah. Even smaller ones if they can manage it. But yeah, definitely all the larger ones should. And a lot do. I'll, I'll you know, be fair. There are probably anyone might be listening to this saying, oh, yeah, well, we've got a mentoring program. You know, well, great. Does it work? <laughs> and uh, and is it, um, it does it help to change culture as well? That's the other big thing that it does. Yeah. Mentoring helps change the culture. Positively, hopefully. Yeah. All right. Um, now, the, 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 one of the things I found in um, the TA, delivering the TA 40116, was that um, 
there are a lot of people in human resources or moved up to middle management, should I say, in organizations who had the older qualifications, the BSZ or the 40110. And uh, they, back in their day, it's sounding like old timers, but it's true, um, got their qualification in five days, oh. never went away and did a, they, and, you know, it's getting it out of the Wheaties box, basically. But here's the thing. They're telling their people for the 40116, and that'll be the new qualification. Yeah. What's taking you so long? I got mine in a week. Um, we might need on working on enlightening people in management positions that there is this, uh, what is it called? Minimum required learning that has to be done the volume of learning volume yeah. of learning what's 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 the current volume of learning for the new qualification Dan? it, it should be around the, the five to six hundred hour mark yeah i think i think cert fours are, are traditionally around 650 hours now pretty sure 650 hours doesn't fit into any calendar week um <laughs> maybe my maths are a bit awry but um if you are going to send your people to, to training, give them the time to actually learn, for God's sake. Uh, I actually interviewed someone uh, the other day. They were, they were looking at RPL and I was just interviewing them and they said um, they got their last qualification and I won't tell you who it's for, even though they did share it with me, in three days. Three days. Three days. And, and I was in disbelief. He goes, oh, you know, I'm pretty sure it was three days. And then I came back to me, so it wasn't five, even five is ridiculous, but and I, no, it was three. And I, I could not believe what I was hearing. I said, how can you get 10 units of competency trained and assessed in three days? Uh, sorry, effectively. Yeah. You can do it if they literally just, here's all the assessments, here's all the answers. Now just fill all that out. Uh, take a few photos. We'll pretend that you actually did some training. And um, yeah, you'll be right. Thanks. And pay me a hundred bucks on the side in cash and I'll give you the qualification. That doesn't happen. Yeah, look, uh, we could talk about all sorts of strange <laughs> Sorry, things mate. in training. <laughs> you you uh, got me on that one. I, That's like, I, oh, my pet hate. Oh, my, <laughs> can I tell you my pet hate? RPLs that aren't RPLs. That's, uh, yeah, look, and the misunderstanding about recognition of prior learning is is just bizarre. If we just snow the, snow the assessor with, 300 documents oh. that i didn't create that i didn't take part in i just signed my name to it mm. yeah, yeah and, and, and yeah i will say uh, in our experience only so this is not a, um this is hearsay <laughs> but our experience purely um the mining industry is particularly bad with that mm. oh look it's it's one of those things people because they've people, done so much haven't they they've got so yeah. much and here it yeah. all is yeah, yeah, but does it map? Well, it's not my problem. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> it is. You're supposed to map it, not me. That's the whole process, you know. Mm. But um, there is, all right, oh, I won't tell you specifically, but there is an RTO in Queensland mm. that particularly deals with, um, I don't know, people from like your initial background, shall we say, in the working group. People who are leaving that industry and all of a sudden they get a swag, for a few thousand dollars, they get a swag of qualifications. 
And I seriously wonder, um, having people who have qualifications who have not got the knowledge and skills to do that, you know, I seriously think that we're putting people's lives in jeopardy. And it's not just de degrading or de you know devaluing the qualification for everyone who's done the work. I, I see it as a direct physical threat to people in the workplace because we we're setting people up in workplaces for workplace roles. Yeah. Mm. And as you mentioned before, the training is only one element of the um of safety. But if the trainers aren't any good, if you're giving them pieces of paper because they turned up and paid you the money, but they haven't done the, the work, whether it's RPL, whether it's some sort of other dodgy way of doing it, then what are they training people in? What what other corners are they cutting? It's another great mindset thing. You know, the, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. It's true. It's true. Oh, it becomes the, the new standard. Let's be honest about it. That's becomes, if, if we all hear the story about uh, we got this qualification this way and they didn't have to do any work, well, that's the new standard for that qualification. Um, yeah. And, and the TA has been de uh, devalued monstrously over the last 10 years. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's... A large organization, one in which I actually mentioned since we've been talking, but I'm not going to raise them again, has been offering a TAE for $1,000. Mm -hmm. right? yep. Now, $1,000, okay, 10 days training, <clears throat> so paying $100 a day for your training. <clears throat> Pardon me. Okay, uh, it's possible. Um, all right. <laughs> so if you need to contact someone, how much of their time are they going to allow you to use to talk them through anything, to provide feedback? Because time's money, right? They can't. So th that's what I, I don't get. By devaluing qualifications like that, to be honest, a cert for in training assessment should be 10 grand. Should be $10,000. For $10,000, a person would get one-on-one -on -one immaculate treatment because that, the training organization could afford to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you charge $1,000 or less, let's face it, there's been people out there who do it less than that then you're going to get what you pay for. You're going to maybe get through once during your qualification to someone overseas who might be able to give you a couple of mo uh, moments of their time, yeah. you know? So yeah. It, 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 yeah, it's, it does frustrate me. I know we can never charge that for the TAE, not never. I, I don't think we can ever charge that for the TAE, um, but it doesn't help when in a competitive environment, we've got people who are willing to live on very small margins and by the way, that means paying their trainers very little. So they get lower grade trainers. They they have less support infrastructure to assist students. Everything goes online. And before you know it, you know, it's a cookie cutter approach and you're pumping out trainers who, as you said before, could endanger lives. And they're just crap, let's be honest. So oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. A couple of quick questions because I've taken enough of your time, even though it's gone pretty quick. All right. Number one. New qualification coming in. What's it looking like in length of time so that managers have a realistic idea of how long it's going to take their people to get through the new qualification if they send them? Yeah, it, it's 10 days of, um, of workplace time. Mm -hmm. um, anything additional to that would be uh, gathering evidence. But 10 days of workplace time, usually spaced out over three months. I like it. I like the way you said space out over three months, just so we can get some realistic expectations for industry. All right. Um, I think I think that's a thing. That thing. I, I, I've lost. To be honest, I've lost the last question, Dan, in my head. But um, 
It's been great talking to you. And I think we can leave it on that note. Thank <laughs> you so much for your time. And thank you for trying to help explain new qualification, who needs it, who, what, what other avenues are available, and um, just a, a greater depth of knowledge of, I don't know, the training and how it impacts on safety. Well, thanks very much, Tom, for the opportunity to, um, and just to uh, let anybody listening know, we do train. We have a full-time trainer in WA. Um, we also have um, courses running in Laos and Vietnam next year, which is exciting um, for a mining organisation. So it doesn't matter where you are. If you want the Australian version of this national qualification, um, yeah, just contact us. We, we bend over backwards. One of our values is flexibility, which means, and we live it. We basically allow people to squish the training into their workplace as best we can while still maintaining some form of, um, you know, return on investment basically for both parties. But um, yeah, we're out there doing it and we love doing it. And we hopefully produce good quality trainers for the, uh, for the various industries, including work health and safety and mining. Excellent. Oh, one last thing before you go, Dan, when's the book due out? Yeah, that's, that's not. <laughs> okay. So we're, our deadlines Thursday for the content and we will, we'll get that. And that'll be fine. Um, the publisher allows us as the authors to use that immediately. So we can actually have it up on our, in our internal um, content to, to run the program as soon as we get the assessments done. So it'll be January, February, but the actual published textbook that you can get in your hands, probably not till the middle of the year. Um, the ebook version, they're looking at late March as the chance. So the ebook version will be out late March, the full hard copy by mid-year, um, and it's just all down to logistics. You know, there's a lot of work to be done once the manuscript's done to actually get a physical book into people's hands. Um, we were lucky last time because <laughs> it took 12 to 18 months for everybody to get the TAE on scope, if you can recall. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. Um, there were... <laughs> <laughs> having PTSD flashbacks about that. So no. Um, so we had we had some grace from industry, but now everyone's going to get it today, you know, well, this week. Um, and they're going to be looking for resources. Uh, and I just hope they don't choose the first one they get because um, not only will they miss out on the textbook, but it'll cost them. Uh, it'll cost them in a number of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Look forward to speaking to you soon, Dan. Thanks again for your time. Pleasure, Tom, and I look forward to um, yeah, all your success as well. You're doing great over there, so well done. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week.